Welcome to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. We're a church on Sydney's northern beaches, seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, good morning. I feel like there's a mass exodus when I'm preaching recently. (laughs) Maybe we need to get more (laughs) Sam on more often. Uh, We've been in a a series on the book of Philippians or the letter or the epistle to the church in Philippi. And uh, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to the last chapter of Philippians, chapter 4. And we're going to start at verse 5 this morning. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So this is our final week in the epistle to the Philippians. And this, as we've spoken before, is almost like a love letter to the church in Philippi. Um, The the church in Philippi was close to Paul's heart. He was very affectionate towards them. And we saw in the last couple of weeks that the high point of Paul's letter is in chapter 2, which is that creed, uh, which the early church would likely have been reciting. And a lot of Paul's other reflections sort of circle around that main theme. And uh, this week we are going to unpack the theme of anxiety and peace and how the gospel speaks into that. Uh, Week one, we looked at the the call to love each other and to love each other deeply. We talked about agape love. And then last week, Sam unpacked what it means to humble ourselves and take on the nature of a servant. And this week, I've titled this morning's message, Believing the Gospel in an Age of Anxiety. How about we pray and then we'll dive in. Lord Jesus, we thank you once again for this opportunity to gather as your people, to gather as your church. And hear from your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you would be speaking. Lord, that you would be putting power on the words that I speak. Um, Lord, be putting power on our ears to hear the message that you have for us this morning. Lord, would you make scripture come alive in our hearts that we might see transformation this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Personally, for me, anxiety has actually been a big part of my journey. It still is in many ways uh, in regards to my health, relationships with people, my relationship with God. And so I'm very familiar with this particular text. And uh, if I'm honest and if we're honest, often we can read these words of Paul with our kind of Western ears or Western eyes. And they read like someone who's never really been anxious before. Does that come across? (laughs) It almost sounds like it's religious well-wishing a little bit. And it's just kind of like, it's not that simple. If it's that simple, why isn't it working? Has anyone had those thoughts when we've read this text? Um, And that's how I view that text and have viewed this text for much of my life. Uh, I struggled to see how this could apply to my particular situation. It seemed somewhat unrealistic, somewhat unachievable. And uh, in my early 20s, this particular text became a bit of a faith struggle for me because the reality was I was not experiencing in my mind and in my body Uh, what Paul was speaking about, the reality of the peace of the kingdom. And in my immaturity, I felt guilt and shame about that. And it's taken me time to sift that through with the Lord. 
Um, I've grown significantly in my journey with anxiety uh, and believing the gospel over uh, my self-talk, um, but that's still a process. Um, I still experience that feeling of the tightening gut, which is typical of anxiety, uh, a racing heart or a spinning mind fairly regularly. But for many years, I used to wake up first thing in the morning, I would feel just a deep sense of dread and I'd feel butterflies in my stomach. And it wasn't until my early 20s where I realized that's actually probably not healthy. And I got some help about that. Um, I experienced panic attacks. Uh, I, I haven't had one for many years now, but I have experienced panic, genuine panic attacks where um, your breathing is affected and dizziness and the sense of dread. Um, I've had regular bouts of stomach conditions, which were later found out to be linked with my anxiety. So I'd often have sleepless nights, nausea, sometimes vomiting for um, an intense cramps for about a week. And in my gap year when I was 19, I developed a fear of flying. And that was particularly uh, painful because most of my gap year was spent flying around the world. <laughs> um, I developed in my 20s a fear of driving a manual car. Um, and I love driving a manual car now, um, but my mates, I, I came up with any excuse to have them pick me up and drop me off so that I didn't have to drive anywhere in the only car that I had access to, which is a manual. Um, but there is growth available because I love driving manuals car, cars now. So um, I've spent time in psychologists' offices unpacking some of this. I've been on medication over the years. And I share that with you to let you know that this morning's message is not just some kind of preacher's mental ascent. Okay, this has been a genuine journey that I have walked, and for me it has been and continues to be a personal journey. Uh, and statistically speaking, my story is not uncommon. Many people in their 20s nowadays just view anxiety and burnout as a rite of passage in today's world, which is just heartbreaking. Um, nearly one in five Australians experienced an anxiety disorder in the last 12 months. Almost a third of people in Australia will experience an anxiety condition in their lifetime. So that means, statistically speaking, even though there's a small number of us in the room this morning, there's a handful of us that this is probably very real for. And I just want to be pastoral as I share on that. Um, this morning, I'm not primarily speaking into that degree of severe anxiety or even into my own story. Um, I'm a pastor. I'm not a psychologist. And I don't actually think that Paul was writing this text um, as famous as it is, to target those, those um, particular amongst us who genuinely struggle daily with chronic or severe anxiety. I don't think that's particularly who Paul was targeting this text for. Okay, this is a general text to a church in Philippi. Now, some of what I share will no doubt apply, if that is your experience, um, and it is truthful. Uh, but what I don't want you to do is go home and say, well, you know, I heard Jonathan give a 20 minute little talk on anxiety. I tried one or two things that he said. Um, I'm still anxious, so therefore Jesus doesn't have much for me. That's actually not true. Jesus has much for you. Um, but part of you finding freedom may well be applying scripture right alongside other forms of accessing health, perhaps medication, perhaps psychologist, perhaps therapy, whatever that looks like for you. Um, but what I do want to speak into this morning is the kind of anxiety that all of us are generally familiar with to some degree. See, none of us are immune to the feelings of anxiety. There's a certain amount of anxiety in certain situa situations, which is actually beneficial. It is in our body to help us avoid dangerous situations. The problem is that we are now in the West and we're no longer getting chased by a lion. So instead, we get anxious about opening our emails or paying our mortgages. And that's kind of what I want to speak into that generalized anxiety that many of us feel in our day to day. The problem that anxiety poses is that it blocks our awareness of God. 
because it bombards our mind and at times our physical bodies, making it very hard to be present to people and present to God. That is the problem with anxiety. But before I continue, I want to give you a biblical definition for what actually do I mean by anxiety. And the word that Paul uses when he writes anxious is the Greek word merimna. And its literal definition is to be in pieces, to be pulled in different directions or divided into parts. And if you've ever had an anxious thought and you've paid attention to it, in moments of anxiety, you'll probably more often than not notice that they're characterized by cognitive dissonance, right? This idea that we are being pulled in different directions. I want to be here, but I'm feeling that or I'm thinking this. That's typical of anxiety. And Jesus himself had a play on this word marimna in Luke chapter 10, which is the famous Mary and Martha passage that you may know. Uh, Jesus was visiting Mary and Martha's house. And uh, it says, Mary sat at the Lord's feet, that's Jesus' feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. You are marimna. But few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. So Martha was anxious about serving. She, her mind was divided. She had probably too many goals. She was thinking about 300 things. And Jesus is saying, it's wonderful that I am one of the 300 things that you're thinking about. But actually, I want you to be single minded and single focused and make me the only thing that you were thinking about. So Jesus is playing on this idea of marimna. And that's the key. So the opposite to anxiety is not some kind of whimsical notion of bliss or emotional state of detachment that we might think that it is. The opposite to anxiety is actually to be fully present and to be single minded. So peace, biblically speaking, is not some abstract emotional feeling. It's when all the parts are put back together in order. It's wholeness. The Greek word is irene. It means one. It means to tie together into a whole. The concept in Hebrew is shalom, wholeness. So the peace that Paul and Jesus are talking about is about having confidence in God's control of your life, regardless of external circumstances. And the bridge between the gap of anxiety or brokenness being divided and peace, wholeness, the bridge between the two is prayer, Paul says. Communion with God, being conscious of his presence is what allows the truth of the gospel to penetrate our hearts. That's why Paul writes, but in every situation by prayer, prayer is the bridge and the peace of God will result. Now, I still struggle with this verse because what we're tempted to do is view that as just bringing our concerns to Jesus and we automatically get a transaction of peace. We view it transactionally, right? And when we don't get it, often we find ourselves more anxious than before because we're anxious about being anxious because we shouldn't be anxious. Has anyone had that experience or is that just me? So it's like, God, I'm really anxious about this meeting. Help me. Quick temperature check. Yep. Still anxious. Gosh, what's wrong with me? Has anyone had that conversation going on? What's typical of anxiety? That approach is not what Paul is suggesting here. What I think Paul is getting at and what I've learned from personal experience is that the form of prayer matters. The form of prayer matters. Let me explain. You see, anxiety actually has a gospel. It's a false gospel. And it can be really loud 
And if you pay attention to what that's saying to you, you'll quickly discover it's actually the opposite to what is the gospel of the Lord, the gospel of peace. See, the messages of anxiety that we have flooding our minds in times of stress uh, are lies. They deceive you. It tries to trap you into believing something about yourself or about others or about God that's not true. And anxiety will see a delay in God's answer, a jumping to your request, and reach a conclusion that, well, God must not care about me. That's anxiety speaking. That's not the truth of the gospel. Steve Cuss, he wrote a great book called Managing Leadership Anxiety. He writes this, Anxiety shrinks the power of the gospel because it presents a false gospel, one of self-reliance rather than reliance on God. See, anxiety tells us we can't rely on God's good purposes for our lives, that Jesus is untrustworthy and we have to control everything ourselves in order to be okay. It's a lie. And prayer is the counterbalance to that. It's the deliberate act of listening to God's voice more than the voice of anxiety. It's looking at our saviour more than it is looking at our problems. Philip Yancey writes, Prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. Prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. That's the kind of prayer that we need to grow in and lean in and that Paul suggests actually involves thinking. We often don't equate prayer with thinking. But Paul writes, whatever is true, whatever is right, think about those things. See, Paul is encouraging us to prayerfully pay attention to our thoughts and to realize when they don't line up with the truth that is the gospel. Since peace can be defined as single-mindedness, peace actually comes from thinking. It's not the absence of thought, it's having our minds focused on the right things, focused on Jesus and his kingdom. And in the West, we are very thought-driven, and so we tend to experience most spiritual warfare in the mind. Freedom and peace in Christ is fought for in our minds, in our thinking. And peace comes from talking to your heart about who you are in Christ, your identity as a son and a daughter. It's looking at your savior and choosing to believe him rather than the message that your anxiety is telling you in the moment. And so I want to spend just a little bit of time looking at how do we actually do that practically? How do we take that form of prayer when we're inundated with anxious thoughts that Paul is talking about and, and think about the gospel. How do we do that practically? Before Ricky Gervais made a famous show called The Office, has anyone seen that British, British uh, sitcom, I guess? Um, and then there's the American spin-off as well. Um, but there was a movie before that called Office Space. And I think it had Jennifer Aniston in it. Um, but basically it was the same thing. It was this kind of comedic satire of like office middle management. And uh, there's this character in that movie called Milton. And they fire Milton because he's really not doing any work. Um, and he's massively underperforming. But he just keeps showing up to work every day. And they, they're like, what do we do about this? And so what they do is they, they, <laughs> they realize, well, we've already stopped paying him. Um, let's just relocate his office. So they, they keep relocating his office to, to more and more difficult parts of the building until they finally relocate him right down to the bottom of the basement and he's there with all this stuff. And then he's still coming to work, so they start taking away his stationary supplies. And the, I think the last picture we see of Milton, and he's there in this little corner office at the bottom of the basement clutching a stapler, you know. And when it comes to anxiety, we'll often find that anxiety will keep showing up for work. It tends to do that, even when we tell it not to. 
It's a natural protective mechanism that is wired into our bodies, and so it keeps showing up for work. But that doesn't mean that we have to give it the corner office of our mind or the best real estate in our heads. We can actually relocate it to the basement and we can stop paying it. We can starve it. And the way that we starve it and relocate it is through prayer. We take away its salary, relocate it to the basement, and I think that's what Paul is getting at here. And the starting point is to become aware of our anxious thoughts so that we can name them. I actually heard a leader who once calls his anxiety Milton just to, just to give it a name. So it's like, that's just Milton. For me, I haven't done that. I just say, oh, that's just my anxiety. And, you know, having a chat with somebody, it actually takes the power out of it because it's like, oh, that actual thought, that's not the gospel. That's not me. That's just my anxiety. And it takes the power out of that thought. Relocate it. Um, but there's actually power in spotting the specific thoughts that anxiety can take. And uh, it, it's a way of saying, well, that's not truth. That's just anxiety, and it's not going to get that real estate in my mind. I'm relocating it to the basement. And so a great way to do that, you can actually do that on your own, um, but it's also really helpful to do it with people, like two, maybe two trusted friends, a little group of three, prayer triplet or whatever that you, you deeply trust, where you share vulnerable things with each other. Because when you share vulnerable things with each other, you actually get power over them. And so step one is you just say, what message is my anxiety sending? And you actually articulate it specifically, write it down in your journal or whatever. So, you know, I'm gonna lose my job. I'm gonna fail that exam. You know, nothing works out for me. If she really loved me, she wouldn't have said that. What if I end up getting sick? When I said that thing, I think I offended them. I don't know how I'm gonna be next time I see them. Those kind of thoughts actually write them down. And Step two is you have your friends listen as you're sharing or you look at your journal and spot adjectives. You can try and spot them for yourselves. What adjectives would you use to actually describe those messages that anxiety is sending you? Probably adjectives like harsh, unforgiving, stupid, failure. It's generally negative thinking. And then step three in a little group or in your journal you make a master list of all these adjectives. And as you do that, you'll start to begin to see how common they are. You'll see patterns in those adjectives. And so you can share those with each other. And often it's really helpful to, to actually feed back. So someone in the group will say, hey, when you were sharing that, I keep seeing, you, you keep using the word failure all the time. I think that's something to, worth paying attention to in your thinking. And you'll probably find the patterns that you see generally fall into common areas. So common ones would be control or a lack thereof, a feeling that you're out of control, um, a sense that you're needing to strive for perfection, so perfectionist thoughts or a lack of perfection, um, approval or a lack of approval. And then step four, I think, is what Paul is getting at. You share the simplest thing. What do we know about God that is true? What do we know about God that is true? If that's the message of my anxiety, what's the message of the gospel? And you write that down or you sit in that space. God is patient. God is kind. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. God reigns in the unshakable kingdom. If that's a message of anxiety, what is the gospel? You articulate it. And you'll likely realize that there's some really simple messages of the gospel that counteract your common thoughts of anxiety. 
So, for example, control. God says, I'm in control. I'm omnipotent. I'm sovereign. If your anxiety is around perfection, God says, only I am perfect. Only I am holy. I am without sin. You don't have to be. If you always need to have the right answer, God says, I'm omniscient. I know everything. You don't have to. If you feel like you always need to be there for people, God says, I'm omnipresent. I am everywhere. If it's people's approval, you listen to the gospel of God that says, only God is self-sufficient. Your approval and identity is actually in me. I was having lunch with someone a few weeks ago. We weren't doing this exercise. We were just just sharing our hearts really and talking frankly. And he just sort of stopped me halfway through and he just said, are you sure that's your job? It sounds like you're describing God's role. Make sure you don't mix them up. And that was very freeing for me because I was realizing that I was carrying so much extra stuff that actually was completely outside of my control. And I was still carrying the weight of that. And I needed someone to actually spot it and be like, that's not your job. Do your job and let God do his job. See, God only expects for us to be exactly human-sized. There is freedom in that. Anxiety will try and turn you into God where you control everything, but Jesus died to free you from that burden. God just wants you to be human-sized. And then step five is you fill in the blank. What if I were at least as blank to myself as God is? What if I was as kind to myself as God is? What if I was as patient with myself as God is? What if I was as forgiving to myself as God is? It's a powerful moment of clarity when you can compare the message of your anxiety with the truth of the gospel. And that's the key. It's very simple. It's not easy. Those are two different things, but it is very simple and yet incredibly powerful. And it's how we can present, as Paul says, our requests to God with thanksgiving. Because then you can say, thank God that I am not the ultimate holder of my destiny. Thank God that my mistakes don't define me or my relationship with God. Thank God that you are God and that I am not, and that you are working all things for my good, even when I can't see them. Thank God that I don't have to be perfect because your grace is sufficient for me. See, only God is perfect. And when we try and be perfect, we're actually trying to take the place of God. And God relieves us of that burden of having to be perfect. He doesn't expect us to know everything, to have all the right answers. God simply expects us to be open to learning and to be freed from feeling like we have to cover over all our mistakes. He died to free us from that. And here's where it becomes an act of faith. You have to choose to believe the truth of the gospel over your anxiety, over the narrative that you're telling yourself, over your fractured thoughts. And at the moment, one of the most tangible ways that I'm trying to walk by faith is simply believing the gospel over believing myself. That's all God requires of us. It's actually hard for me at times to believe the gospel, that God loves me unconditionally, (coughs) against condition, that he is kind and patient and loving towards me, that he doesn't actually deal with me according to how my sin deserves. And here's the big one, that I can do nothing to actually earn his grace or his favor because I already have his his grace and his favor. When Jesus looks at me, he doesn't look at my mess. He sees the righteousness of his son. And as Paul writes, which is the high point of his letter in Philippians 2, 
Jesus, who being very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And so when I'm believing my own narrative, I'm actually putting myself on the throne that only belongs to Jesus. I'm exalting my name above his name. But when we choose to believe the gospel, which is this, we realign it. We enthrone Jesus as Lord of our life again. I bow the knee to his good purposes for my life, even if I can't see all of the outcomes. And thank God that I don't have to. Pete Gregg, he's uh, the leader of 24-7 Prayer, which is a movement that's come out of the UK. He says, the most important discovery you'll ever make is the love that the Father has for you. The most important discovery you'll ever make is the love that the Father has for you. And it is exactly that. It is a discovery. It can't be taught. It can only be discovered. Discovery requires more than simply memorizing facts. It actually requires personal experience. And as Paul would suggest, it requires meditation. It requires thinking on, stewing on like you're dissolving a lollipop in your mouth. It requires you to meditate with the illumination of the Holy Spirit, the truth of the gospel to get it from our head to our heart. And then we can begin experiencing the truth of the gospel in our physical bodies and in our minds and in our hearts. And when we do that, we experience greater freedom. And my experience with anxiety, like almost all aspects of dying to self, which is exactly what this process is, it's dying to self, choosing to believe the gospel over yourself, is that that is rarely an instantaneous transaction. Transformation in the love and grace of Christ is always a process. But when you do that process faithfully with the Holy Spirit, when we present our requests to God, when we choose to look at our Savior rather than dwell on our stuff and our story that we're telling ourselves, when we do that, grace begins to drip by drip by drip into every aspect of our lives, particularly those parts of our worlds that we have not yet submitted to Jesus. We open those spaces up and his grace floods in. And in two years, five years, 10 years, you look back and you realize that anxiety doesn't have the corner office in your mind anymore. You've relocated it to the basement. Jesus has the corner office in your mind. And this process starts to become second nature where you can, as Paul said, present your requests with thanksgiving. And you can walk out your salvation in faith, choosing to believe the gospel and who Jesus says that you are more than the message of the anxiety. And when we do that, we experience peace or the wholeness, the single-mindedness of the kingdom. Amen. How about we stand? We're going to respond in the 10 minutes we have left. You've been listening to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. 
To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or by visiting our website, www.centerpointvineyard.org. The theme song for this podcast is Highest Praise by Kieran Delhart. So we see-